Now, you know, there is worldwide oppression. Worldwide oppression. Oppression against the gospel of Jesus. And why is that? Why is there such oppression of the truth of the Lord? One reason. Fear. Fear. The people that are filled with fear on this earth are afraid of people who are truly free in Christ. <laughs> they can't control their minds, can't control their hearts, can't control their allegiance. Why? Because they are a free people. Regardless of where they live, they're free in Christ. And that causes great concern to those who are about control and oppression. But I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, there are millions, untold millions and millions and millions of people who are truly free. And hundreds of thousands every week joining into the fellowship of the free who know the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. Now Jesus, in this season of his ministry, if you open your Bibles now to the passage that was read to you by Al, Luke chapter 12. Luke records for us a season of Jesus' teaching when he is teaching about fear. The Lord spoke a lot about fear. And you will see that in this season in his ministry, he was teaching about fear, good fear and bad fear. There's good fear and there's bad fear. Jesus, you'll see, talked about good fear, and that is to be afraid of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He said, be afraid of that, becoming a part of your own character. Then he talked about a bad kind of fear. Don't fear your enemies, he said. Don't fear those who, having killed the body, can do nothing else. He said, don't live in that bad kind of fear. Then he talked about the good kind of fear, to fear God. To fear God. He said, I say, here's the one you should fear. The one you should truly fear is the one who, having killed a body, killed your body, is able to cast your body and soul into hell. Jesus said, yes, I say, fear him. Fear God. Jesus said, that's a good kind of fear. And then Jesus said, there's a bad kind of fear. Don't, don't fear about your father's concern for you. Never fear how much your father is concerned for you. He says, he, he takes note of the, the sparrows, and you're more valuable than many sparrows. He said, well, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Your heavenly father will take care of you. He said, don't be afraid. Then he said, there's a good fear to fear to fear denying Christ. Joe talked about this last week. To fear denying Christ. To, to fear the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Be very concerned about that. And then Jesus said, there's a bad fear. Don't be afraid when you're arrested. Don't be afraid when you're dragged before authorities. Don't be afraid when you are called to give a statement... He said, you will know by the Spirit what you should say in that hour. Don't be afraid. 
So Jesus is talking about fear. And then something happens that causes Jesus to tell his disciples then, and he's telling us today, that there is something we should fear very, very much. Very much. It's not a danger that's outside of us. It's a danger inside of us. Jesus said, you need to be on your guard against greed. Guard against greed. Now, greed is not the sin of just wealthy people. Greed knows no financial limitation. Poor people can be greedy. Middle-income people can be greedy. The incredibly wealthy can be greedy. Greedy is a condition of the heart. It's, it's not the situation in your bank account. And Jesus wants us to know just how dangerous greed is to our very existence. And so he says, guard against greed. Now the way this begins, how is Jesus prompted to talk about this? He's prompted because a man out of this huge crowd. Now remember, Jesus is surrounded by thousands of people at this time. If you look back at verse 1, there are thousands and thousands of people mobbing around him. And while he is teaching, one man speaks up in the crowd. And his words capture Jesus' attention because his words are words of greed. They're words of greed. Notice verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, at first glance, or maybe we should say first listen, th that would seem to be very, very harmless. A, a harmless request. A man sh just speaks out of the crowd and says, Rabbi, teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. But Jesus sees beneath that little crevice he sees the crevasse of greed in this man's heart. And he knows what a danger this man is in, and he knows what a danger that kind of attitude is to the disciples then and now. It's like a huge sinkhole. Greed. I was reading this week about Two homes, a few years ago, two homes just 20 miles or so north of Tampa. And in, in the late evening, there was just a, a tiny little crack there in the yard of one of the homes. Nobody thought anything about it. But over the nighttime, the crack grew and grew and grew. And the next morning, about 7.45, it started swallowing one of the homes. And swallowing the sw swimming pool. And swallowing the home next to it. 
two homes dropping down into this giant sinkhole. What in the world causes something like that? Well, many states, almost all of Florida, under the topsoil is this limestone, soft stone. Acidic water just slowly, slowly, over periods of time, decades, maybe hundreds of years, eats away at the limestone so that all that is left is just this dome with a little soil on top of it. And then, when the weight becomes too much for that thin dome of limestone, it begins to crack at the topsoil, and everything on which it rests starts coming down into that sinkhole. Some of you may remember a few years ago, this happened in Bowling Green, Kentucky, at the Corvette Museum. You remember that? Motion detector went off. Yeah. Man came to see what has happened, found a 50 or 60 foot hole under the museum and eight or nine classic Corvettes down at the bottom. You see, we need to be aware that greed that eats away is like soul erosion. Not soil erosion, but in our hearts, greed is like soul erosion. Slowly, it eats away at our character. Finally, collapse comes. It's happening in this man's life. How do we know this man's experiencing this? Jesus sees it. What does he see? What does he hear? Well, notice the man asks about what? He asks about his inheritance. Tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. What's this mean? It means his father has died. It means his father has died and his focus is on his finances. His father has died and his focus is not on losing his father, but getting his father's money. You see, greed can do that. Greed can cause a person to value stuff over the closest of personal relationships, even family. True story. College professor out in California, she'd been teaching there many years, received word that her dad had suddenly passed away. He and his wife lived in the mid a Midwest state. So the college professor and her husband got on a plane. They flew back. They got there in time for the funeral. After the funeral, there was a meal to be held for the immediate family. The mother and her five surviving daughters, some of their spouses, and when the professor and her husband came in to their father's house, they were appalled to see that there were tags on all kinds of pieces of furniture with the names of the different sisters on the tags. They had already claimed pieces of the furniture. 
The family sat down in silence, grieving mother, widow, sitting at the head of the table. And finally, the daughter, the professor, and her husband couldn't take it any longer, and they stood up from the table. They walked around behind their mother, and here's what they said. Everyone has tagged what they want. We are placing our tag on what we want more than anything. And they put their hands on their mother. See, that's what greed can do. We can value stuff above the closest of relationships that we have on earth. Now, consider this man's focus, will you? Think about it. This man is in the presence of the King of Kings. This man is in the presence of the Messiah. And the Messiah is talking about the things of the kingdom. The Messiah is speaking to his disciples about what really matters in life. And what is this man thinking about? He's thinking about the things of this world. Gathered in the presence of God. Gathered in the presence of the Lord of glory as he teaches his wonderful truth. And the man's mind is on money, stuff, his things. That happens in churches every single gathering. I have no doubt it's been happening here some this morning. Prayer, singing, worship. Reading of God's word. Where's your mind been? Has it been engaged on the things of God? Or on the things of the past week? This afternoon? Responsibilities of the days ahead? Notice the symptoms of the soul erosion of greed. What are the symptoms? Notice the symptoms here. Listen, this is amazing, but it's but it so sadly common. This man doesn't ask Jesus for guidance. No, he tells Jesus what to do. Some Christians today call that prayer. You tell Jesus what to do rather than asking his guidance. That's prayer. This man doesn't align his priorities on Jesus' priorities. Jesus is teaching priorities, the priorities of life. This man doesn't align, align his priorities with Jesus. He just announces his priorities to Jesus. Some people call that faith today. That's what faith is. You just speak your truth. You just speak your faith. You just throw that word down and Jesus is going to do it because you said it and that's called faith. No, my friend, that's called heresy. My friends, listen carefully. Listen. The message of greed is not the message of God. The message of greed 
is not and has never been the message of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is not good news. He has come so that you can be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's not the good news. The good news is Christ died for sinners. <laughs> and he saves sinners of whom I am the chief. That's good news. Jesus did not come to this earth to arbitrate arguments. Jesus is not a deal broker. Jesus said, I came for this purpose to seek and to save those that are lost. That's what I'm about. This man was wrong. He was wrong about the mission of Jesus' life. He didn't understand why Jesus had come. Verse 14, Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? I am the judge. Yes, he's the judge. And one day I will pass judgment. But I'm here to save. This man was wrong about the meaning and the measurement of life. Greed had deceived this man to what the meaning and the measurement of life is. Verse 15, Jesus addresses that. Notice what he said. Jesus said to them, take care. Be on your guard. Now friends, when Jesus says, take care and be on your guard, that ought to mean, I got to listen up. Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Every sport has one. Every sport has one. You play football, many times it's at the end of the field. You play basketball, many times it's hanging from the rafters over the center court. You play baseball, many times outside the center field wall. What am I talking about? The scoreboard. The scoreboard. Friends, how do you keep score? How do you keep score in your life? How do you measure success? See, the world says this. The world says that greed, greed is the scoreboard of the game of life. You, you keep score by the stuff that you have, the stuff that you enjoy. And the more stuff that you have, the better you're doing in the game of life. We call that civilized world. I love what Mark Twain said. Here's how Mark Twain defined civilization. Mark Twain said, civilization is a limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. The limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessity. Gotta have it. 
Now, Jesus is very clear, my friends, listen. Jesus is very clear. Life is not a game. And acquiring stuff is not the way you keep score. Jesus was very clear about stuff is not how you keep score. Listen again to verse 15. Jesus said, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see that word abundance there in your Bible? It, it has the idea of excess. One's life is not, it doesn't consist in the excess. Mean, it means it, life is more than just the pursuit of a little bit more. Not a whole lot more, just a little bit more every single day. He said, this is not what life is. Greed is not how you measure life. Friends, listen carefully. Greed is how you miss life. I have stood at the bedside of so many dying people. Never once have I heard someone say, I wish I could have made a little more money. Never once have I heard someone say, I wish my 401k had more in it. Never once have I heard someone say, if only I could have put in some more hours. But how many times with tears in her eyes, people have said, I missed life in this crazy pursuit of stuff. I missed my life. Oh, friends, listen. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Just to make sure we understand what a wasted life looks like, Jesus gives an illustration. He gives an example of a, a wasted life. And he gives us a window. He says, this, this is a window in degree. It's a window. And what's a window do, friends? A window lets in light. And so when Jesus tells a story or a parable, it's, it's to let in light. And so Jesus shares a story that lets in light to illuminate a greedy soul. Now listen to the story again. Listen to the story Look in the window into the greedy soul. Verse 15, he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a parable. What's a parable? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And the man thought to himself. Now there's where things go off the rails right there. When you start talking to yourself, most of the time you're having a foolish conversation. So the man, he, he thought to himself... I, Brainstorm, great idea. What shall I do? 
for I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. That's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Why? Because this man is blinded. He's blinded by greed. And notice how greed blinded him. Notice this. It blinded him internally. It blinded him externally. And it blinded him eternally. It blinded him internally. It blinded him externally. It blinded him eternally. Notice, it blinded him internally. <laughs> what does greed do? Well, friend, think of it this way. Greed causes eye disease. Eye disease. It causes terrible myopia. Myopia. This man, he, he shares his idea. He shares his business plan. Six times he says, I. Five times he says, my. Eye disease, myopia. Listen to him. Listen to him talk. Verse 17. Inside him's head. What shall I do? For I have now nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barn, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, be merry. It's eye disease, myopia. He is blinded internally. You know, you know what the problem here? Here is this. Greed is not about money. This is what it tells us. Greed is not about money. Greed is about me. What, what's this man expressing? He's expressing the fact that he has become self-centered, self-focused, self-absorbed, self-serving. He's blind to everything but self. He's blind internally. And he's blind externally. How do we see that? That he's blind externally. He can't see God, first of all. His land brought forth bountifully. Oh, he had a lot to do with that. Oh, and he was all over that. He, yeah, he created the seeds. He created the DNA. He created the miracle of life. He created the rain and the soil and the nutrients. Yeah, he did all of this. He can't see God. He's so blessed, but he's so greedy. Greed does this to people. They can't see God. 
Did you know that even evangelical Christians in America, American evangelical Christians right now, listen carefully, that's our team. American evangelical Christians are the wealthiest Christians in the history of the world. The wealthiest Christians in the history of the world are American evangelical Christians today, but every study shows the average American evangelical Christian gives less every year than 4% of his or her income to the gospel. This is what greed does. When God says, put me to the test. God says, put me to the test. The only time God tells you to put him to the test is to put him to the test with your money. Bring your tithes and your offerings to me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you will not be able to contain it. Don't trust your bank book. Don't trust your 401k. Trust me, God of all creation, owner of all things, and let me show you who I will be. My friend, you see, greed turns us into idolaters. We become God. And we begin to think of God as if God's going to take from us. My friend, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Amen. If you went to a jewelry store and the owner of the jewelry store gave you a 25-carat diamond free, some of you want the address of the store right now. <laughs> but if you went to a store and the owner gave you a 25 karat diamond free, would you be afraid to ask for a bag to put it in? God gives us his son and we're afraid he's going to hold back from us. This is the erosion of our soul. We, we can't see God. We can't see others. Look at this man. What's his, what's his bright idea to do with all of his stuff? Build storage units. Build more barns to contain the stuff. Store the stuff. Don't think about sharing it. Here's what Augustine, the church leader, said in the 4th century A.D. He was commenting on this verse. Here's what he said 1,700 years ago. Quote, The bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his barns. If he stored it away in the bellies of the poor, it would have, of course, been digested on earth, but in heaven it would have been kept all the more safe. See, greed robs us of joy. 
We store and store and store. And who are we robbing? We're robbing ourselves because Jesus says it is more blessed to what? Give than to receive. The richest man, the richest woman is a man or woman who is, listen church, content. You're rich when you're content with what the Lord in His grace has given to you. What does He say? Freely you have received, freely give. See, greed causes us not to be able to see God. We can't see others. And then this man, he really can't see himself. Verse 19. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, friends, listen carefully. This is the only place I know of in the Bible where what is commonly referred to as retirement is described. Now, there's nothing wrong from retiring from work. Listen carefully. There's nothing wrong with retiring from work. But to retire from working for God and working for others is unbiblical and ungodly. It is unbiblical and ungodly to ever in your life as a follower of Jesus stop working for God and working for others because that's why you're on this planet. Sadly, in this upside-down world that we live in, what this fool has just said in verse 19 is what is used to tell us retirement's supposed to be. Save, 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 store up, store up, store up, so that there comes a time when you can joyfully take it easy, do whatever you want, eat, drink, and be merry. That's called wisdom in this world. You know what Jesus calls it? Look at the next verse. God said to him, fool. God calls the wisdom of this world foolishness. And what the world considers to be foolishness, God says, that's wisdom. Greed blinds us, worst of all, eternally. This man is talking about all the things he's going to do. He's stored up all this stuff. Now he has enough for any circumstances. Eat, drink, and be merry. Have a good time. You're set for life. And God says, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And the things that you've prepared, the stuff that you've stored up, whose are those going to be? Now, friends, listen, verse 20, write it down. That's God's banking principles. That's God's banking principles. What are the three key principles of God's banking principles? Do not miss this. Number one, this, your life is on loan from God. God created you. He gave you life. 
and he loans it to you. Your life is on loan from God, number one. That's God's first banking principle to make us wise. Number two, at death, God is going to call that loan. He's going to make a call on that loan at death. And number three, after death, God is going to call for an accounting on how you use that loan. That's God's banking system. Your life is on loan. At death, the loan is called by the one who loaned it. The debt, the loan is called. And at judgment, you will give an accounting of what you did with that loan. What a terrible thing. What a terrible thing to default on a lifetime loan from God. However long it is, 30 years, 40 years, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. What a terrible thing to default on a life that's been loaned from God. No profit, only eternal loss. Because Jesus said, what shall a man be profited? Banking term. What shall a man be profited if he gains? Banking term. The whole world. And what? Loses his own soul. What shall a man give in exchange? What's the exchange rate? Of your eternal soul. For this man, it was too late. But now, friend, listen carefully. It's not too late for you. It's not too late for any of us. Why? Because Jesus ends this message with some wisdom regarding greed. He gives us some wisdom. He gives us hope. And I want you to take hope from this. Verse 21 so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and he's not rich toward God. Not, not, what is Jesus doing? He's summarizing the whole message. He, he's a wonderful public speaker. He, he summarizes everything that he's just said in this conclusion and then he offers hope. Do you, do you see the hope here? Do you see it? The hope is this. You can be rich toward God. Do you see that? This man was not rich toward God. So what is Jesus saying? I'm telling you these things so that you can be rich toward God. You can be rich. Now, how do you become rich toward God? But by becoming poor in spirit. What did Jesus say? Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. My friend, I don't know how much money you got, but it's nothing compared to the kingdom of heaven. That's a lot. Who gets it? The people who are poor in spirit, and the word poor here is a special word. It means destitute. It means beggars. 
It means spiritually bankrupt people. People who are spiritually bankrupt, they know they're spiritually bankrupt. They know there's nothing that they can do to earn God's favor and forgiveness. They can only trust in His mercy and grace in Christ. They are made rich. You see, you become infinitely rich when you come to Christ as a poor beggar. And He gives you life now, life forever. The kingdom of heaven becomes yours right now. The kingdom of heaven is not when you die. It's life right now. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. Have it abundantly right now. Jesus doesn't want us just to exist. He doesn't want us to fail to know the reality of God and the reality of Christ. He wants us to know the riches of His generosity now. Every believer is rich in Jesus, right? Every believer, we're rich in grace. The unmeasurable riches of the grace of God lavished upon us rebel sinners because of the blood of the Son of God poured out for us. We're rich. We're rich in love. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called what? The children of God. And that is what we are. That's not make-believe. If you're poor in spirit and you're trusting Jesus, you are a child of God. You're a child of the King. You're rich in peace. Being justified by faith, declared right with God by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Troubles come, they happen, but the peace of Christ is left in our hearts. He said, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, do I give it unto you. It's yours forever. We're rich in the Spirit. What's the value you put on this? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. What's that worth? What's that worth? Rich in family. You're not alone. If you know God as your father, Christ as your brother, then everyone in God in Christ is your sister and your brother. You are family. We're family. We're rich now and rich forever. We're going where our treasures are laid up, where moth and rust have not corrupted them, and the thieves haven't taken anything. I want to close with this. story of two high school students. Two. One young man graduated from high school. There was a reception after his graduation ceremony. An older relative came to him and said, what are your plans? He said, I'm going to college. And the older man said, what then? He said, oh, after college I'm going to I'm going to establish a startup business. I got a, I got a dream about something. He said, oh, great. What then? 
So I'm going to succeed, I'm sure. I'm going to make a fortune. Wonderful son. What then? Well, I, I want to retire early and just live each day to the fullest. And the man said, what then? And he said, well, I suppose someday I, I'm going to die. And the man said, what then, son? What then? There's another high school graduate. You talk about rich. He was the heir to the Borden family. Riches. The Borden family of Chicago. His name was William Borden. 1904, he graduated from high school. His father gave him a trip, a trip around the world. In the between year before he went to college. And while he traveled from country to country, this Christian young man's heart became burdened about the lost people of the world. And he, and he cabled to his family and said that God had impressed on him that he should live his life as a missionary. They were not real happy with that. He took the Bible that had been given to him at high school graduation and he wrote in the back two words. He wrote these two words. No reserves. No reserves. He went away to Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut. His freshman year, his first semester, he decided that he and his roommate would pray together before breakfast. They began to have that time of prayer. Someone else joined, someone else joined, someone else joined. And by his senior year, listen to this, 1,100 of the 1,300 students at Yale University were gathered for morning prayer meeting. He went away to Princeton Theological Seminary. When he graduated, he received all kinds of offers, all kinds of things that he could do with his life to make a fortune. He took down that Bible from high school graduation. He wrote two more words in the back. He wrote, no retreats. After those incredible years at Princeton, when God used him to touch students about serving Christ, he headed to Asia to be a missionary to the Muslims. He wanted to learn Arabic, so he first went to Cairo, Egypt. And in Cairo, Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and he died at the age of 25. They found his Bible on his nightstand and in a week scrawling handwritten expression, two more words, the words, no regrets, no regrets, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. That is living.
Father, I pray now by your Holy Spirit. I ask you, Father, first of all, move in my heart. My own words convict me this morning, Father. Pry open my clenched fist. Pry open my greedy heart. All is yours. All comes from you. Lord, I pray that I would be the first to respond to your word today. Lord, I pray for your purpose to be accomplished in every life here today. Lord, I pray for people today. I pray for people wasting their lives on the pursuit of stuff. I pray for us who have retired from working for you and working for others. I pray for us poor and rich who through greed have begun to doubt that you will provide. Lord, I pray that you will draw us to a place of joy. Lord, make us go there that we experience it is more blessed to give than to receive. Lord, I pray that you'll change lives this morning. I pray you will change, fundamentally change the direction of people's lives today. I pray, Father, that liberty will come. Set us free from this materialistic madness, O oh God. Set us free from the God of greed. May we worship only at your feet. May we lose our lives and find in them you. I pray, O oh Lord, and I pray now this morning, most of all, that people will come. They'll come as beggars to Jesus, and they will know they are rich in Christ, rich in grace, rich in forgiveness. We pray this in the precious name of our Lord as we do sing to you. In Jesus' name, God's people said.